All right, let's take our Bibles, if you have one this morning, and go to Luke chapter 23. What we'll be looking at is the story of the criminals who were crucified with Jesus. It is just five sentences long, but so packed with truths. And though I have known this story for, uh, well, I don't know, 42 or 43 years, I suppose it was not until this week that I finally realized that this is a story of faith in the resurrection of Christ. Uh, But first of all, this is a story of crucifixion. Crime has been on the rise in the United States again, at least some types in recent years. And so there are many headlines about how politicians promise to fix the problem. The Romans had an idea. We will brutally torture criminals in public. We'll figure out a way to execute them that's long and slow, and we'll do it in public where anybody can walk by. Maybe that'll deter crime. And thus you have crucifixion. And so that was the method of execution for Jesus and for these two men who died with him one on the right and one on the left, as the Bible says. And so that crucifixion scene might seem very distant to us since we've never seen anything like that. But the part of the story that we're going to be looking at this morning begins with something that sounds very modern because it begins with someone saying to God, if you are real, why won't you get us out of this mess? Many people say that today. I can't believe God is real because if he was, he'd fix this mess that we're in. So here we have it, Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now we learn several things from this verse. First, We learned that the men who were crucified with Jesus were criminals. Literally, the word is evildoers, but it was the standard word for criminals. They were criminals who had received the death penalty. Now, we might think for a moment that maybe they were Jewish revolutionaries trying to upset Rome and had gotten caught, but that's not the case, I don't think, because in just a moment, we'll see that one of them admitted that their death sentence was entirely just and exactly what they deserved. And no Jewish zealot would have said that. So these weren't martyrs dying some sort of unfair death. These were men who had done great evil and deserved the death penalty. And yet, as they hung on that cross, one of them said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. What did he mean? Did he mean, if you are the Christ, please save us? No. The verse says that he railed at Jesus. It means to tear somebody down, to scorn them, even to blaspheme them. He was not genuinely asking for help. He was scorning and shaming Jesus. If we backed up and read more of the story, we would see that this criminal was just the latest in a long string of people who had mocked and scorned Jesus. The Jewish leaders did it. The soldiers did it. The crowds passing by did it. 
nearly everyone was making fun of Jesus. He said he was a king and he couldn't even stop his own trial. He said he was a savior and he couldn't even get himself down from the cross. And so the criminal said, are you not the Christ? Which meant, come on, you claim to be the Christ. The Jews were waiting for that great deliverer, the anointed one who was going to come sent by God and rescue them and usher in a glorious age of peace. Everybody wants a glorious age of peace ushered in, right? So they were waiting for the Christ. And he says, you said you were the Christ. You claim to be a deliverer, a savior. So why don't you just get us all down off these crosses? Huh? Now, for him to say that was ignorant, arrogant, and foolish. It was ignorant because this criminal misunderstood what kind of salvation he truly needed. We want salvation from our financial troubles, from our physical diseases, from the other political party. And someday through Jesus Christ, God will fix all of those problems. It's not that we don't need salvation from those things. It's just that those problems are all the fruit, not the root. The root problem that is rotting humanity to death is our sinful hearts. And before any of those outward problems can actually be solved, we must be rescued from our sinful hearts. Now, in addition to being ignorant, this man was also arrogant. For when we demand that God fix our problems, we are ignoring the fact that they are our problems that we created. It is our sin that has torn apart humanity. As Pastor Eric said, not all of our suffering comes directly from our own sin. But the only reason why there is suffering in the world at all is because mankind rebelled against God and tore at the very fabric of how this universe was meant to work. And so to blame God for not fixing that mess is arrogant. We might plead with him, but not blame him. Not only was he ignorant and arrogant, but he was also foolish, for he completely failed to realize that Jesus was making salvation available for that criminal and all the rest of us. How? By refusing to come down off that cross. Everybody mocked Jesus for not saving himself. Do you see the incredible irony in that? That was the point. There were plenty of ways that Jesus could have saved himself from that cross, but every one of them would have resulted in our condemnation. And so in ignorance and in arrogance and in foolishness, this evil criminal during his execution said to Jesus, didn't you say you were the Christ? Then get us down. But Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame so that he could save all who will come to him. Now, what happened next is quite a surprise. Luke 23, verse 40. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Let's go back, stay there on, the first, on verse 40. Something different was going on in the heart of the other criminal. From the outside, the two guys looked similar, probably two evil men who deserved to be executed. But in their hearts, something different was going on. You know, you could not truly gauge any person in this room this morning based on what you can see on the outside. Hello. Man looks on the outward appearance. God sees right through to our hearts. 
And so as these two thieves hung on that cross, struggling to pull themselves painfully up to catch enough breath to even say anything, the second criminal looks past Jesus over at the first, and he gathers enough strength to cry out to the other, don't you fear God? It is hard to admit that we are sinners who are in trouble with God. We don't mind admitting that we're flawed people who make a few mistakes. It's even popular today to go on social media and be authentic, be vulnerable, put something out there about your struggle or your weakness. But to admit that I should fear God because I am guilty and in trouble with him, that's what nobody wants to do. And yet our second criminal thinks that at the very latest, by the time you have gotten yourself hanging on a cross, you ought to figure out that you're in trouble with God. That's the point of what he says here. How can you be an evil criminal in the middle of your own execution, justly dying, and still not have figured out that you're in trouble with God? That's why he says here, you're under the same sentence of condemnation. That translates the Greek word for the verdict. The three of them had been tried for different crimes, but they had all received the same verdict, death by crucifixion. And so the second criminal obviously thinks that by this point, they ought to fear God because they're getting what they deserve. Now, verse 41, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. He recognizes that they were rightly in trouble with the law and also rightly in trouble with God. You realize that even a criminal on death row facing the worst penalty any human being could face isn't done yet. They still have to face God. They have not received full justice yet until they have faced God. So to put it in modern terms, the first criminal says to Jesus, didn't you claim to be the Christ? Well, then why don't you just get us all down, you fraud? That is the implication of what he's saying. And the second criminal looks over at him and says, what? You still don't fear God? You know you're guilty. You know we deserve this. And you still don't realize that you're in trouble with God too. You're just going to make fun of Jesus. End of verse 41. This man has done nothing wrong. Wow. If we were reading this in the Gospel of Luke, we would see that this is a, one of a string of people, unlikely people, who testify to the innocence of Jesus. Herod did it. Pilate did it. This man did it. The Roman centurion did it. So first of all, what this means is Jesus was wrongly convicted. It was a sham trial. But there's also something deeper going on here because it was not that only that Jesus was wrongly convicted. It was that Jesus never sinned. There was nothing to convict him of. You realize the difference. It may be that some of us, many of us here this morning, have never been caught and convicted of breaking the law. But that's not the whole issue, right? God sees an innocent man was hanging on a cross, but far more importantly, a sinless man was hanging on a cross. The only sinless man ever. What was going on? How could a sinless man end up on a cross? Isaiah 53 tells us, all we like sheep have gone astray, astray from God. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord 
has laid on the Christ, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. God laid our sin on Jesus so that he died to pay the penalty for our sin. God the Father judged Jesus instead of us. The righteous died for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Now, I don't know if the second criminal on the cross had any understanding of why Jesus was really dying. And yet, what happened next is amazing. That second criminal summoned his strength once more, pulled himself up to get another breath, and turning now from looking at the criminal, now turning to Jesus, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from something beautiful, something gracious that God was doing in that man's heart to change him from an ignorant, arrogant, and foolish criminal to a child of God. God was opening his blind eyes. God was softening his hard heart. Isn't it incredible that at the cross, when you would expect that every bit of God's attention would be focused on Jesus, actually in those moments, the Spirit of God was paying attention to the convict next to him, working in his heart, bringing new life. And so that man responded to the work of God in his heart and turned to Jesus in remarkable faith and in simple prayer. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I love the fact that he spoke personally, that he called to Jesus by name. Jesus, remember me. Jesus may be the king of kings, but he invites you to come speak to him. Every one of you. He said, Jesus, remember me. Which means, Jesus, please let me be part of your kingdom. Take me into account. Let me be on your heart when you come into your kingdom. You, you've probably heard this story before, so maybe it doesn't come as a surprise to you. But if we could somehow read it for the very first time, I think our jaw would drop when this hardened criminal calls out to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's so unexpected. What did he mean when he referred to Jesus' kingdom? Well, I think there's one thing we can rule out for sure. He didn't mean, Jesus, I think you're going to get yourself down off the cross, just like that other guy said. And then you're going to get us all out of that, this mess, and then we're going to take on the Romans. And when you do, I want to be there. That is not what he means. There were many Jews who wanted to take on the Romans. That was completely understandable. The problem was that they refused to listen when John the Baptist and Jesus kept telling them that their greatest need was for someone to bear their sin and judgment. So this man was surely not asking Jesus to get down off the cross and take out the Romans. That makes no sense in light of how he just rebuked the other guy. It makes no sense in light of how humble he was about his sin. And it makes no sense because of how Jesus responded to him. So he didn't mean, Jesus, come down from this cross right now and let's take on the Romans and I want to be part of it. What did he mean? Well, the Bible teaches a lot about God's kingdom and about King Jesus as God's anointed ruler. You can trace that theme from the very beginning to the very end of the Bible. But this man on the cross had not probably been to very many Bible studies. Though it's possible, if he had grown up in a Jewish home, that he may have been taught from the Jewish scriptures. But I think it's unlikely he knew very much about the kingdom of God, at least in terms of Jesus. But what he knew 
was that what he needed more than anything else was to be in Jesus' kingdom. Get that. What he knew was that what he needed more than anything else was to be in Jesus' kingdom. He wanted Jesus to be his king. And that's amazing in our cultural moment. Because what we're all told today is that the one truth above all truths, the one value above all values, is that you can do whatever you want, anytime you want. You are your own king. You should have complete freedom with no one else to tell you what to do. And yet this man wants Jesus as his king. How did he realize that great spiritual truth? Well, again, maybe he had been taught the scriptures as a Jewish boy. Maybe he had heard Jesus or his disciples preach. I don't know. But what's certain is that God was working in his heart, opening his eyes to see what was real and true. And as God worked in his heart in his dying moments, what he wanted more than anything else was Jesus to be his king. And so he got up the courage to ask if Jesus would remember him when he came into his kingdom. And now, here's the simple little thing that I totally missed in this story. That means that this criminal believed that Jesus was going to live again. Somehow, he believed that death would not be the end for King Jesus because he looked over at the dying Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I don't know exactly what he thought that meant or how he thought that would happen. Again, there's a chance that he had heard Jesus talk about rising from the dead. Or possibly he could just tell that Jesus was so different. There was something very unusual going on here. I don't know. But somehow he believed that Jesus was going to live again. But do you see the other part of it? He not only believed that Jesus was going to live again, he believed that he was going to live again. He's dying and talking about later. (laughs) Somehow he believed that Jesus and he could live beyond this crucifixion. They were obviously only a few hours away from their death. And yet he saw himself and Jesus in the same kingdom after their death. Somehow he believed in the resurrection. And ultimately the somehow is the grace of God in his heart. So this death row bad guy ends up being a tremendous example of how you come to Christ for salvation. He showed humility for his sin, especially admitting that he should fear God and that he deserves punishment for his sin. He wanted Jesus to be his king. He believed that Jesus would live again. And somehow, he believed that Jesus could save an awful criminal and bring him into God's kingdom. That's the gospel. Humble repentance, recognizing Jesus as king, believing in his death and resurrection, and believing that Jesus can save you. Jesus said, Mark 1, 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the proclamation of the good news. That's exactly what this man did, isn't it? And here's Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And that's what this man did, right? Humble repentance, recognizing Jesus as Lord, King, believing in his death death and resurrection. Who would have thought that the thief on the cross would be the model for all of us? But he is. And maybe that's on purpose. 
maybe God is more gracious than we realize. Maybe God delights to save great sinners. Maybe God loves the lowest of the low. Now, again, if you've heard this story before, can we try to pretend we haven't? Because if you had not heard it before, right now, you'd be like, Pastor Tim, tell us what Jesus said next. You're just leaving us hanging. What did Jesus say? Verse 43, and he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly, not just maybe, not just I'll think about it, but truly, truly, I say to you, singular you personally, Today, not just someday, but today, you will be with me in paradise. Not just in my kingdom, but actually with me in paradise. Paradise was the Greek word used for the garden, in Garden of Eden. It's also used for the amazing new creation in the future, kind of like the new garden, the new heavens and new earth. Jesus is the one who restores the paradise that was lost through our sin in between the paradise at the beginning of creation and the paradise for eternity, if you're with Jesus, you're in paradise. As the Apostle Paul said, to depart and be with Christ is far better. He is the true peace for our troubled hearts. He is the true rest for our weariness. He is the true purpose for our existence. He is the true joy for our souls. Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. Now, when God makes all things new, there are going to be a billion other delights. But Jesus will still be what makes it paradise. And so when the death row inmate asked to be in Jesus' kingdom, what happened next? Jesus promised to spend eternity with him. And that is Jesus' promise to anyone who will come in humble repentance, recognizing Jesus as king, and believing in his death and resurrection. Truly, Jesus will be yours. And paradise will be yours from the moment you die and forever because you'll always be with the Lord. And so I titled this message, I am the criminal on the cross. So think of it like this. You might be the first criminal. Proud, foolish, even mocking God. You don't need Jesus. Now, this has nothing to do with how religious you are. You might be very irreligious. This is the first time in years you've been to church. Or you might be in the Grace Bible Church attendees who are here regularly. It's not about how religious you are. It's about what's going on in your heart. You might be the first criminal who just does not care about your sin, does not need Jesus. Or you might be the second criminal God has worked in your heart and you have come in humble repentance to King Jesus and you've said, dear Jesus, would you save me? Would you forgive me? Could I be part of your kingdom? And since he never casts out anybody who comes to him, he welcomed you as his child. You might be the first criminal. You might be the second criminal. But here are two more things I want you to think about. First of all, if you were the second criminal, you were once the first criminal. Don't ever forget it. God took you from the kingdom of darkness and he brought you into the kingdom of light. 
God took you from the bondage of lies and he brought you to the truth. God took you from loving yourself as king and he brought you to love Jesus as king. God took you from facing eternal death to now possessing eternal life. If you're the second criminal, you were once the first, and now your life is all for him. But there's one more thing to think about. Your life might be kind of in between. Now, technically, there's no in between. I get that. You've either been forgiven and you're part of Christ's kingdom or not. But what I mean is that God might be working in your heart today, drawing you away from being that first criminal. He might be opening your eyes to see your sin and your guilt. You might be having a very strange experience this morning of feeling a little bit of humility. And I'm I'm not joking. I'm saying you're kind of surprised by this because you know the hardness of your own heart. And somehow this morning, you're starting to think, man, I am a stinking sinner. And that's kind of a new thought. Some fear of God is starting to rise up in your soul. Yet at the same time, God is also starting to open your eyes. And and maybe for the first time this morning, you're starting to think, wow, Jesus is pretty amazing. You know, that only happens because God opens blind eyes to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And you're starting to realize that he, he, he died for you and that he actually rose for you. And maybe you almost wish you could go be that thief on the cross and and turn to Jesus right now and say, Jesus, I'm a great sinner, but if you could save that guy, is there any chance you could remember me too when you come into your kingdom? But it's not always easy to get those words out, is it? What if that criminal on the cross had not spoken up? What if he had thought to himself, I'm a pretty hardened criminal. I mean, I'm a tough guy. And if I cry out to Jesus now, that other guy's going to make fun of me. (laughs) Or these crowds are all mocking Jesus. And if they hear me, they're going to all start mocking me. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous in the light of the fact that he's about to die, right? And yet it's the kind of thing we think that keeps us from Jesus. What's somebody else going to think? Who's going to make fun of me? Or maybe he thought something different, like Jesus would never want a guy like me in his kingdom. I don't know who goes to Jesus' kingdom, but it's surely not people like me. He could have come up with many reasons to stay silent. But if he had, he would not be in paradise with Jesus today, but in hell. Romans 10 again, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Confess with your mouth. You do that, first of all, in prayer. You talk directly to Jesus in prayer. Jesus isn't physically present today, but you can talk directly to Jesus just like that man could. Every one of you. You talk directly to Jesus in prayer, but then Jesus also wants you to publicly confess him. And this is really interesting because this man actually did that too. Now, normally, we begin to publicly confess Jesus through baptism. 
Baptism isn't a saving work. It's the first step of obedience to Jesus. And it's a public confession of your faith and repentance in Christ. So normally we publicly confess Christ, first of all, in baptism. But this guy didn't have a chance. Yet he still got to publicly confess Jesus because the crowds were right there. And the other guy was right there when he said out loud, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's a public confession. And he was saved. How much encouragement we can find in that man's salvation. Let me just read you what a couple other preachers have said about the passage. Jesus is able to save even the most lost. He saved tax collectors, prostitutes, the poor, the blind, and even criminals being executed for their crimes were able in the 11th hour to find in Jesus an all-sufficient Savior. And not only the most lost, but also the last, the last who are helpless and without hope can turn to Jesus and find life everlasting. Luke wanted his readers to remember that the kingdom is for the poor, the hungry, the sorrowful, the despised. Jesus shows saving mercy to one of the dregs of humanity. A remarkable instance of the grace of God shines in the conversion of that man. In this wicked man, we see a striking mirror of the unexpected and incredible grace of God held out to us. A mirror. Why a mirror? Because I'm the criminal on the cross and you are too. And this man ends up being an invitation to all of us. He says to all of us, if I can be saved, you can be saved. Whatever excuses you might have, whatever reasons you might think it's not possible, whatever doubts you may wrestle with, however little you may know, however embarrassing your sin, if Jesus would take me, he'll take you too. I want to show you a a very brief clip from the Scottish preacher, Alistair Begg. Some of you I know will have seen this, but some have not. And uh, he expresses better than I can the beauty of God's grace to this criminal on the cross. Let's go ahead and play that now. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person. Because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet, You made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What what do you mean you don't know? Well, because I don't know. Well, you know, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor in so we just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? 
think I said, I never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. man on the middle cross said I could come. So, if you are in between today, because God is working in your heart, do not resist the amazing grace of God. Can I say this kindly? Being at church today has done you no good at all if you do not respond to what God is doing in your heart. It might be hard to get those words out. It might feel so humbling and like you just can't do it. You might feel like you're the criminal on the cross trying to get the courage to say it. But do it. Come to Christ right now. Speaking to him from your heart. Confessing to him, I am a great sinner in need of a great savior. Jesus, would you, could you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And the same Jesus who rose from the dead will raise you too. And forever you will be with him and that will truly be paradise. We're going to have our pastors available after the service today. We'd love to help you. If God's working in your heart, talk to Jesus. And if you talk to Jesus, then talk to somebody else. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Tell somebody what God's doing in your heart and in your life.